welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your brothers and sisters in spirit, and knowing that God is love, and the Almighty I Am Presence, being the spirit of the living God dwelling within us, and the energy and power behind all things good and productive. Let us never cease to acknowledge and represent that power of love, lest we take for granted the divine gift given us. And in doing so, we not only forfeit our God-given power to others, but in that season, we dare to place our own individual God presence on the back burner. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. Y'all be loved. The angels consist of nine classes and three orders, upper, middle and lower. The upper order is composed of cherubim, seraphim, and thrones, these are called priests, kumar, and chief priests, and bearers of God's throne. The middle order is composed of lords, powers, and rulers, these are called priests, Cain, because they receive revelations from those above them. The lower order consists of principalities, archangels and angels, and these are the ministers who wait upon created things. The cherubim are an intellectual motion which bears the throne of the Holy Trinity, and is the chief of all motions, they are ever watchful of the classes of themselves and those beneath them. As concerning the epithet, full of eyes, which is applied to them, the eyes indicate the mystery of the revelations of the Trinity. Their head, and the foremost and highest among them, is Gabriel, who is the mediator between God and his creation. The seraphim are a fiery motion, which warms those below it with the fire of the divine love. The six wings which each of them is said to possess indicate the revelations which they receive from the Creator and transmit to mankind. The thrones are a fixed motion, which is not shaken by the trials which come upon it. The lords are a motion which is entrusted with the government of the motions beneath it, and it is that which prevents the demons from injuring created things. The powers are a mighty motion, the minister of the will of the Lord, and it is that which gives victory to some rulers in battle and defeat to others. The rulers are a motion which has power over the spiritual treasures, to distribute them to its companions, according to the will of the Creator. This class of angels governs the luminaries, the sun, moon, and stars. The principalities are a defined motion which possesses the direction of the upper ether, of rain, clouds, lightning, thunder, whirlwinds, tempests, winds, and other ethereal disturbances. The archangels are a swift operative motion, into whose hands is entrusted the government of the wild beasts, cattle, winged fowl, reptiles, and everything that hath life, from the gnat to the elephant, except man. The angels are a motion which has spiritual knowledge of everything that is on earth and in heaven. With each and every one of us is an angel of this group, called the guardian angel, who directs man from his conception until the general resurrection. The number of each one of these classes of angels is equal to the number of all mankind from Adam to the resurrection. 
Hence, it is handed down that the number of people who are going to enter the world is equal to the number of all the heavenly hosts, but some say that the number is equal to that of one of the classes only, that they may fill the place of those of them who have fallen through transgressing the law, because the demons fell from three classes of angels, from each class a third part. If then it is an acknowledged fact that there are three orders of angels, and in each order, there are three classes, and in every class a number equivalent to that of all mankind, what is the total number of the angels? Some say that when the angels were created, and were arranged in six divisions, cherubim, seraphim, thrones, principalities, archangels and angels, the three lower divisions reflected, saying, what is the reason that these are set above, and we, below? For they have not previously done anything more than we, neither do we fall short of them. On account of this reflection as a cause, according to the custom of the divine government, justice took from both sides, and established three other middle classes of angels, lords, powers, and rulers, that the upper might not be unduly exalted, nor the lower think themselves wronged. As for the dwelling place of the angels, some say that above the firmament there are waters, and above them another heaven in the form of infinite light, and that this is the home of the angels. Here too is God without limit, and the angels, invisible to bodily eyes, surround the throne of His Majesty, where they minister to the tabernacle not made with hands. Others say that, from the beginning, when God created the angels, until the second day in which the firmament was made, all the classes of angels dwelt in the upper heavens, but when the firmament was made, they all came down below it, with the exception of three classes, the cherubim, seraphim, and thrones, who remained above it. These surrounded and supported the Shekinah of God from the beginning of the world until our Lord ascended unto heaven, and after the ascension, behold, they surround and support the throne of the Christ God, who is over all, until the end of the world. The Expositor and his companions say, The tabernacle which Moses made is a type of the whole world. The outer tabernacle is the likeness of this world, but the inner tabernacle is the similitude of the place that is above the firmament. And as the priest ministered in the outer tabernacle daily, while the high priest alone entered into the inner tabernacle once a year, so of all rational beings, angels and men, no one has entered the place above the firmament, save the high priest of our confession Jesus Christ. The fathers, when they have been deemed worthy at any time to see our Lord in a revelation, have seen him in heaven, surrounded by the cherubim and seraphim. Hence some say that there are angels above the heavens. All these celestial hosts have revelations both of sight and of hearing, but the cherubim have revelations by sight only, because there is no mediator between them and God. The angels have an intellect superior to that of the rest of rational beings, man has stronger desire, and the demons a greater degree of anger. The Book of the Bee, edited and translated by, Ernest A. Wallace Budge, M.A., 1886. Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 2 Bearing in mind that the Christian fathers have always claimed for themselves and their saints the name of friends of God, and knowing that they borrowed this expression, with many others, from the technology of the pagan temples, it is but natural to expect them to show an evil temper whenever alluding to these rites. Ignorant, as a rule, and having had biographers as ignorant as themselves, we could not well expect them to find in the accounts of their beatific visions, a descriptive beauty such as we find in the pagan classics. 
Whether the visions and objective phenomena claimed by both the fathers of the desert and the hierophants of the sanctuary are to be discredited, or accepted as facts, the splendid imagery employed by Proclus and Apuleius in narrating the small portion of the final initiation that they dared reveal, throws completely into the shade the plagiaristic tales of the Christian ascetics, faithful copies though they were intended to be. The story of the temptation of Saint Anthony in the desert by the female demon, is a parody upon the preliminary trials of the neophyte during the micra or minor mysteries of Agri, those rites at the thought of which Clemens railed so bitterly, and which represented the bereaved Demeter in search of her child, and her good-natured hostess Bobo. Without entering again into a demonstration that in Christian, and especially Irish Roman Catholic churches, the same apparently indecent customs as the above prevailed until the end of the last century, we will recur to the untiring labors of that honest and brave defender of the ancient faith, Thomas Taylor, and his works. However much dogmatic Greek scholarship may have found to say against his mistranslations, his memory must be dear to every true Platonist, who seeks rather to learn the inner thought of the great philosopher than enjoy the mere external mechanism of his writings. Better classical translators may have rendered us, in more correct phraseology, Plato's words, but Taylor shows us Plato's meaning, and this is more than can be said of Zeller, Jowett, and their predecessors. Yet, as writes Professor A. Wilder, Taylor works have met with favor at the hands of men capable of profound and recondite thinking, and it must be conceded that he was endowed with a superior qualification, that of an intuitive perception of the interior meaning of the subjects which he considered. Others may have known more Greek, but he knew more Plato. H. P. Blavatsky Taylor devoted his whole useful life to the search after such old manuscripts as would enable him to have his own speculations concerning several obscure rites and the mysteries corroborated by writers who had been initiated themselves. It is with full confidence in the assertions of various classical writers that we say that ridiculous, perhaps licentious in some cases, as may appear ancient worship to the modern critic, it ought not to have so appeared to the Christians. During the medieval ages, and even later, they accepted pretty nearly the same without understanding the secret import of its rites, and quite satisfied with the obscure and rather fantastic interpretations of their clergy, who accepted the exterior form and distorted the inner meaning. We are ready to concede, in full justice, that centuries have passed since the great majority of the Christian clergy, who are not allowed to pry into God's mysteries nor seek to explain that which the Church has once accepted and established, have had the remotest idea of their symbolism, whether in its exoteric or esoteric meaning. Not so with the head of the Church and its highest dignitaries. And if we fully agree with Inman that it is difficult to believe that the ecclesiastics who sanctioned the publication of such prints could have been as ignorant as modern ritualists, we are not at all prepared to believe with the same author that the latter, if they knew the real meaning of the symbols commonly used by the Roman Church, would not have adopted them. To eliminate what is plainly derived from the sex and nature worship of the ancient heathens, would be equivalent to pulling down the whole Roman Catholic image worship, the Madonna element, and reforming the faith to Protestantism. The enforcement of the late dogma of the Immaculation was prompted by this very secret reason. The science of symbology was making too rapid progress. Blind faith in the Pope's infallibility and in the immaculate nature of the Virgin and her ancestral female lineage to a certain remove could alone save the Church from the indiscreet revelations of science. It was a clever stroke of policy on the part of the Vicegerent of God. What matters it if, by conferring upon her such an honor, as Don Pascal de Francisus naively expresses it, he has made a goddess of the Virgin Mary, an Olympian deity, who, 
having been by her very nature placed in the impossibility of sinning, can claim no virtue, no personal merit for her purity, precisely for which, as we were taught to believe in our younger days, she was chosen among all other women. If His Holiness has deprived her of this, perhaps, on the other hand, he thinks that he has endowed her with at least one physical attribute not shared by the other virgin goddesses. But even this new dogma, which, in company with a new claim to infallibility, has quasi-revolutionized the Christian world, is not original with the Church of Rome. It is but a return to a hardly remembered heresy of the early Christian ages, that of the Coloridians, so-called from their sacrificing cakes to the Virgin, whom they claimed to be virgin-born. The new sentence, O oh, Virgin Mary, conceived without sin, is simply a tardy acceptance of that which was at first deemed a blasphemous heresy, by the Orthodox Fathers. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 16 And now let us enter into the conscious awareness of what the angelic host will do and can do for you as soon as you accept their presence with you and live, move, and have your being in the remembrance of the love which they pour at your call, and which they bring by their very presence which you acknowledge. You could not acknowledge anything about the angelic host, and not have immediately the victory of their love flow in and around you as a flame from their hearts, that would just as surely qualify the energy about you with its love as that you call it forth. Since they are beings of love only, and they know only the service of that love, there isn't a thing they could do for you or draw into this octave except the victory of their love. I want you to realize deeply and fully tonight what that means to you and the world, for the closer you can feel to them, the more of their love can hold victory for you and control of physical conditions in the outer octave of the physical world. The angelic host cannot bring you anything but the victory of their love. Therefore, if you need protection, that flame enfolds you and stands between you, and that which might produce disaster or discord for you. There has been a vague acceptance in the mass of mankind of a guardian angel, which many times individuals have seen in time of crisis. But they forget the service that the angelic host are rendering all the time. Wherever the ascended masters are giving assistance, you can be as certain as you live that there is an angel, one or more, in attendance while the master is giving that help. And I for one am determined that mankind shall know more of the reality of the angelic host. They shall feel more of their love. They shall understand more of the service these blessed beings have given through the centuries to mankind when they were almost sunk in the shadows of their own creation. There is almost an unlimited variety of the legions of the angelic host. There is group after group that works with one specific service or one color or one quality or one manifestation. And much of the blessings of nature come about, and much of it is released to mankind, through the love poured forth by the angelic host to the beings who create for mankind the blessings and the powers of nature. Were you to see some time, in cosmic action, a legion of the angels of the violet flame, you would be breathless with admiration and love and adoration because of the beauty, and the power, and the love which they bestow. Beloved Archangel Michael My dear ones, if it were not for the blessings which the angels and angel devas of healing give to mankind in the healing channels of the world, where do you think the healing would be? Anything that is real, true assistance to mankind in channels of healing, is drawn and protected and directed by those of the angelic host who are the healing angels, and the great angel devas who direct them. 
Over every hospital there's anchored a being of the angelic host who draws the power of the sacred fire of healing love and anchors it there for all who can accept. Therefore, when the calls of mankind go forth for help, in most cases, the help comes. And if it does not, it is because the great divine plan is operating in a way to teach the individual obedience to the cosmic law. Now since limitless legions of the angelic hosts come under my direction, whenever an accomplishment is desired to be brought forth in the physical world to render greater service in fulfilling the divine plan, there is always established the guardianship of the angelic host and the sacred fire of their love, to hold protection until the accomplishment is completed, and then still further, to protect if that blessing is to be maintained through long periods of time. When unusual power is drawn into outer physical conditions to render certain assistance to mankind, that power is guarded always by the angelic host. And that is why, when the mighty Saint Germain first drew the ray into their home, the home of the messengers in Chicago, the angel Deva of the Jade Temple prepared the condition and has guarded ever since. Now you may just as well have that same assistance if you will give it recognition, accept it, love it, be grateful for it, and serve it. I am bringing this knowledge to you tonight because your city here, since it is called the City of the Angels, I assure you, it is not by accident. This was long ago a focus for the angelic host in their service of the centuries past. During the time of Atlantis, there was a temple to the angels located on the ground that is now your city of Los Angeles, and it seems to me the mass of the people ought to know something more about the angels. It would enable them to behave more like angels too. The more you associate with the angelic host, the more you love them and want to become like them, and the more you love them, the more they can do for you. The more you keep your attention upon them, the more you would draw their perfection into the physical world. So, since you who are blessed by living here understand something of these great divine beings who are certain authority in this locality, if you will call the authority of the angelic host to come into physical conditions in this city and force the purification of this whole locality, that mankind may be compelled to see the angelic host face to face, I am quite sure you would see some manifestations here that might even get into the newspapers. Applause. Thank you so much precious ones. Beloved Archangel Michael, 